Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. Looking back, we all should have known Joe was special. What? (laughs) He seemed almost normal. Then you'd see a glimpse of what was lurking beneath the surface. I, uh... You look into his eyes, and he was always somewhere else. On to the next plan. Who's this? Yeah. What is going on? I don't like this. And that's when it all came crashing down. What? What? What came? And I had to ask Joe, how many bodies were there? Body? What? <laughs> Wait a minute. It's not every day the most famous lo-fi musician and podcaster from New Jersey wins a Grammy and then gets arrested for murder. Wait, I won a Grammy? Oh, well. Murder? Wait, murder? <laughs> Joe was revolutionary. Talented and dangerous. Danger? I'm not dangerous at all! What is this happening? That's when he said to me, You can't know Joe the Sado. What? Wait, what is going on? The, this is this is the, the trailer for the documentary of your life. My life? Wait, like my whole life? Yeah. But I'm... It's 2021, <laughs> what do you mean? Great. Doesn't it sound like a great documentary? I mean, it sounds awesome, but I didn't realize we were in a time paradox. What is happening? (laughs) Well, I am fascinated by documentary trailers, as I know Mm, you are, since that is like almost literally what you do as an artist. Um, But, you know, the the promise of the the wink of Mm. a... That, that, that a documentary gives you during a trailer, you know, yeah. because they know something and you know something and you're like, I know where this is going, <laughs> but I'm going to also get the juicy details of what mm. happened that I don't know what was going on, you know? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's like something that feels like this is going to go beyond the headlines, mm. right? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. for sure. That happened to me with the Catfish mm-hmm. documentary trailer. Mm. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a yeah. murder mystery. It wasn't. Yeah, I remember watching that on TV before, like, the um, TV show came out. Oh, like, wow. I remember we were all just sitting around in the living room and Catfish came on TV for the first huh, time. Interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I th- there was a pretty big sports documentary on uh, a little while ago. Did you, ca- did you catch the uh, the end of that series? They were documenting these lunatics that insist on gathering in huge numbers to play a ball game mm. during a pandemic. 
Yeah, I did catch a little bit of that. I saw the Will Ferrell commercial that was airing in between. Um, it was, you know, I have a lot of words. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, we have to talk about a certain someone. And, yeah. you know, his 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 legacy that, you know, this wasn't the defining night of his right, legacy, right. but it puts an odd, you know, spin on him where he's chosen to situate himself at this point in his career. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about, right? Mr. Brady, that is? No, Bruce Springsteen. Wait, what? <laughs> like... Bruce doesn't have any songs about Jeeps. What the hell? First of all, what the hell is he doing in a Jeep commercial? He was in a Bruce. I missed this one. Oh, you missed the Bruce missed, Springsteen Jeep commercial? I did miss the Bruce Springsteen Jeep commercial. <laughs> I, I'm very lost. Well, Bruce, Bruce is gone. Well, maybe I was a bit misleading about who the central uh, pivotal character uh, who, of the Super Bowl was. A little um, bit. Because I, I, I'm not a I'm not a sportsman. I don't know a ton about the football. I know right. the Bucks sucked for a really long time. I grew up, there was this billboard in Tampa that said, we'll deposit $5 into your account every time the Bucks win. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, and I okay. think that was like on one of their really bad losing streak years. Jeez. But yeah, Bruce shows up. He's in a chapel. In Kansas, huh. that's in the geographic middle right. of the lower 48. Okay. And he says, we need to meet in the middle. Or, no, he said, well, because the thing is now, even though, you know, Bruce has his earrings, Bruce has, you know, he's, he's, an, he's an old Italian man from New Jersey. Sure, but he's sure. really leaning into the cowboy aesthetic in his you know, later mm-hmm. life, he's got on his fleece jacket, his uh, cowboy hat that's bent at the sides. Right. Yeah. And he's in a Jeep. Um, <laughs> and he's like, we need to meet in the middle. Yeah. America. All right. And it's like, I get what you're trying to do, Bruce, because you are cursed. You are incredibly talented. You have an impressive discography behind you that no one will question. And you are beloved by so many people and you 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 have it, it one one of one of the most consistent musical legacies of any living american musician and you are cursed with the fact that you have you are a notably liberal uh artist mm. with a lot of conservative fans this is true yeah and uh, so i can understand him doing the math in his head being like a lot of middle-aged conservative dads watching the super bowl rooting for tom brady right i'm going to appeal for unity and then i feel like we look at that and we're like bruce no the middle the middle <sighs> The middle's not where we want to be right now. No. The middle is the middle. The middle has been dragged outside of this little chapel in Kansas that you have found. Yeah, yeah, we're not Malcolm and in the middle right now. Yeah, no, no, we're we're <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm has been dragged from the middle <laughs> by oh my Proud God. Boys. Jesus, yeah, yeah. That so that that's a lot of mixed feelings for me. Because I'm just yeah. like, I I don't want to defend 
Bruce because I know his intentions are good and I know he's like there's a lot of Republican dads watching and uh, they'll listen to me. It, yeah, that's the thing. It's, I... it, but it doesn't it's not it's it doesn't have the good intention I think he wants it to have. I agree. I mean, or I, I should I should say it is good and it is well intended. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's it comes off wrong if you're like, well, I'm over here, and the other side is literally right. racists <laughs> that tried to overthrow our democratically elected president. Yeah, but we all got to be friends now, because that makes sense. Here's the thing, Joe. We kind of do have to get go along to get along for a, a bit yeah but no it's not it's not the meat in the middle it's the get yeah the, it's real the crazy back in or just get responsibility for things again and That's like true. you That's know true. just I, own I, up. I don't, i'm just like i guess i'm just like i'm in a weird place as as a bruce springsteen fan and the, you know it's a lot to think about fair enough but yeah no i mean that the will ferrell commercial i would say a pretty good pretty good performance by the weekend um i yeah. really want after hers performance i really want a chrome mm, stratocaster now absolutely yeah, dude, it was nice. That was a nice guitar. Oh, and yeah. She, first, you know, she she sounded great. She was shredding. Mm -hmm. But man, the, <laughs> first of all, I love I love when strats have a matching headstock to the body. This Ooh, we yeah. are we are we are limiting our audience to a narrower and narrower <laughs> subset of people right now. But yeah, God, that was a good. And I'm someone that's not big on metallic finishes on guitars. Yeah, that was me too. A, that is a gorgeous guitar. I'm like, looking, nice. I'm like, I like, you know, the game is starting after right. the, after uh, America the Beautiful. Uh -huh. And then they had Eric Church there. Yeah, I didn't uh, know who that was. So I thought it was knockoff Eric Clapton for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I only know who Eric Church is because in high school, my like, kind of country friend i don't know how country he actually was right or if he just liked wearing camo baseball caps and liked having yeah. a southern affect mm, okay he was legit enough that he would go to civil war reenactments enough which side south yeah yeah no uh yeah <laughs> no, he no, liked no. being the south okay but he was he he always said it's he's like I'm interested in the history. Right. And I think he always was like, oh yeah, no, the South was gonna lose. Okay. Um, you know, I don't Okay. But but yeah, he <laughs> would play he, he he would play Springsteen by Eric Church. Which hmm. is one of those country songs hmm. that reminds me that Bruce has a Republican right. country following that totally misses the point of his songs. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that, um, yeah. Yeah. But but anyways, so anyways, the, the Super Bowl is starting and I am flicking through my phone on reverb, like looking yes. to see if I can get that signature Stratocaster. And they're not that unattainably expensive. How much would I like? We're you can pick one up for under a thousand dollars. That's not bad. 
Not That's bad. Not it's bad. a it's a made in Mexico Strat. Ooh, okay. Yeah, but you know, it's like it's got it ticks a lot of boxes for me. I, I've enough. never had a Stratocaster. Anyways, so as you can tell, this is a <laughs> this is a uh, an exhibit on history and media. Yeah, um, <laughs> you would be correct on that, and specifically the consequences of certain uh, things represented in media. Yay! And, yeah, consequences. A round of applause, everybody. Um, yes, but specifically focusing on documentaries and questioning the narrative of not only documentary films but the editing and other things that go into it and so that being said i present to you the long-awaited probably paper that i mention all of the time i'm finally gonna give a lecture Ooh. here at the ucm about it oh wow well here we are in the lecture hall yes. i'm uh do, do you want me up here on the podium with you or should i go sit in the audience no you can hang up here i mean we're you know we're a duo do i get here, my own podium i'll you know yeah, what? Get no, up, I'll, can we I'll, now it looks like we're giving a debate. Uh, it's true. That's true. Well, maybe, maybe let's let's. Well, we can we can set this up sort of like how they present. No, put it here, here, here. Put yeah. this book under your podium. Okay, so your podium's a little higher. Oh, that's good. Mine. Yeah, Th this is better. Yeah, hierarchical yeah. standards. This is fine. I like to do a nice Bill Clinton lean into a podium. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really getting comfortable. Yeah, we'll move into mm -hmm. the lounge part of this afterwards when we have our discussion on what I'm going to present to everybody here um, and mm. to really leave some questions. So I think off the bat, I want to make it very clear. I, within my own practice, within my own ways of thinking, I just like to throw a lot of questions around and I don't always expect answers because I just don't think there's a lot of answers in the world. But I think through questioning and through Critically thinking, we can come to some sort of idea on where we need to move and where we need to position ourselves to understand the things that we consume. Mm -hmm. I just want to level, start off with that because I feel like it's there's going to be a lot of contradictory statements that I make. So it needs mm -hmm. to be kind of mm -hmm. addressed immediately that I'm not trying to be contradictory. It's more or less trying to find this so-called middle that maybe exists within film as an art form and film as entertainment. And you're especially playing with a middle ground there because documentaries are themselves art. It yes. is. It's it's going to have a bent. It will ha it will not be biased because you know I feel like we've established at this point that any piece of creative media right is going to have a an opinion yes. of whoever is making it. Yet you are you are trying to represent reality it's this you know the the whole thing where you know a, a little while ago when we were talking about and and maybe a little bit with a little bit of irreverence the mm -hmm. Zapruder film yeah and that that is archival footage that mm -hmm. is pretty close to observational objective reality Yes, yeah. And <laughs> yet, depending on which documentary you see mm. it in, how late it is on the History Channel that that documentary comes yeah, up. Yep, yep. It changes. It changes the perspective, and it changes it on the does. message. It's, yeah, it, and so you have archival footage that could be pretty close to objective mm -hmm. truth, whatever that is. Yeah. But 
you will always be looking at it through the lens of whoever is showing that footage. I'm so happy you bring this up because this is a pivotal point in this essay and really, mm-hmm. really this lecture, I should say, and what we're going to mm-hmm. be talking about. Um, so thank you yeah. for our, our really great precursor without even knowing that it's a precursor. I quite like that <laughs> um, as it goes. I think let's just do it. Let's just dive into this and open let's discussion later. And so let's we, talk docs. Let's talk docs. Um, and with that being said, we need a slight history lesson because that's what we're famous for at the UCM. Can, can we wa- can we watch a documentary about documentaries? I don't have that prepared but i'm we can we can can we pull that up um no we'll just use the slideshow that i've prepared that's going to be a short you know really low budget Mm -hmm. documentary where i have to Mm -hmm. manually flip through it um Uh. so with that being said we have to start with the actual creation of motion pictures and i'm gonna i mean this can go back so much farther but let's really talk big budget and move in with Thomas Edison and specifically in 1889 where he picks a hand team of inventors and then they create the um, first motion picture camera also known as the uh, kinetograph which I'm always bad at pronouncing and so essentially Mm. this is the first like major moving image maker you know a camera uh, mm-hmm. But it, you wouldn't really call it that if you see it because it's massive, number one, and it takes a legitimate mm-hmm. full room to run. Like, the, wow. the the ceilings have to come apart, like, to get enough light to take the images. And really, it was only able to film within that uh, house or this, like, you know, warehouse, yes. whatever it was. The only things that I know about the history of cinema I learned from the uh, Martin Scorsese film, Hugo. So okay, was okay. that... Was that glass house thing that they were shooting the movies in? Was that like fairly true yeah, in kinda. early films? Like, like you basically had to shoot with a transparent roof to let enough light yeah, in. Yeah, actually, yeah. I don't know necessarily about being transparent with that or the accuracies of it, but I know even for this, it was like at least the roof had to come undone so you could have enough light. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. So, you know, everything has to be done in the Someone studio. needed to do that on Game of Thrones. Mm. Yep. Couldn't exactly. see anything in that battle for Winterfell. No, because the lighting so was dark. bad. Yeah, that's a whole thing. Well, I mean, I I have lots of opinions on Game of Thrones. We'll uh-huh. we'll get to that eventually. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but in in yes. the case of this is another that one was of a documentary, things. right? Ye- well, <laughs> I guess it, <laughs> in a way, Zan, everything's a documentary. Um, what? And so <laughs> I don't even know. Wait. <laughs> well, you'll see, Zan. I'm precursing the precursor. That's how this goes. So I told you I'm mm-hmm. gonna constantly contradict myself. So yeah, essentially, this camera's incredibly hard to move and everything has to be done in um the studio. And so we're not really here to talk about the specific films that were made to be shown in these like boxes and the different kind of um I'm blanking on the term, but the specific small theaters that were made for it. Um, mm-hmm. That's a different thing. So we're going to have to jump a little bit and move into when uh, the or the two French brothers, Auguste and Louise Lumiere, invent the new camera, the cinematograph. So okay. the movie camera, and, the actual and that, like and modern that's, movie that's camera. Like, that's like train arrives at station, right? Yes, actually. Yeah, that's exactly okay. the film that I was going to mention. That is one of the first... Um, the films uh, by by Louis Lumiere. This is in 1895, and it's about 45 seconds. 
And essentially this, we have to kind of set the stage here. You know, this is a film showing something that happens in real life captured Mm -hmm. on emulsion film, but people Mm -hmm. don't necessarily know this. You go to a theater with a lot of people and you see us train come right at you. You've never seen a movie before. You've never seen images like this before. That's terrifying. And so it's, it's reported on that. This is like an insane experience. I mean, I I couldn't even Mm -hmm. imagine what that would be like. And Mm -hmm kind of awesome in a way too right to play with people. oh yeah so these you know motion pictures and in, in originals are really made for this spectacle that's the whole point right is to get people in it's, it's an entertainment and you know you can kind of see at the end of the 19th century that this sort of you know uh fantastical imagery and showmanship and circuses and all kinds of you know not great stuff is at the height and so this is the next you know the revolution that's to come but Right. You know, these are these are specifically called actuality films that the train being mm-hmm. one of them where it's things just taken out of real life, shot on a camera and showed to audiences. And it's a hit because people like seeing yeah. things that they know. Well, it's interesting that they kind of. I mean, is that necessarily intuitive? Like, I mean, I get that at first it's a gimmick. It put it literally is putting yeah. butts in the seat like this is a novelty. Uh huh. What I'm sort of fascinated by was no, because, you know, theater yeah. existed. Like, we already had actors. We already had, right. like, performance. Yeah. It's interesting that the first thing that they didn't try to do was, like, get a bunch of actors in front of it. But I guess that's not necessarily what you would think to do if you had this technology. Well, no, they did. This is, this is after that happened oh, because that's okay. what was done in, in, in Edison's with Edison's cinema camera or the kinetograph oh, okay, because okay. they basically would have like jugglers or these different artisans do it because they could be in one place um, gotcha. to show. And then usually you're kind of to see these films, the old, old ones, you're looking down in a box to kind of see them or that, mm-hmm. you know, looking into mm-hmm. the hole to see, the larger picture um yeah. so that this is like completely you know a revolutionary concept because the camera can be moved and that's right. i think what became really interesting uh for yeah. a lot of you know for the lumieres and also others that are to come to start taking this to the next level and so the first documentary we have to talk about mm-hmm. in this long line of ones that i have kind of prepared is nanook of the north by robert j flaherty have you heard of this? What do you know about this, Sam? Okay, so I this is one of those things that I know more from references and I uh-huh. know kind of from parody. Like Oh yeah, okay. There's the Monty Python sketch Scott of the Antarctic. Right. Yeah. That's just, you know, absolutely ridiculous. And I think that's more of making fun of like adventure movies and like yeah. Tarzan movies. Right, right. But I have seen the documentary now spoof of Mm. this documentary that you're about to talk about where, you know, they're poking fun at the fact that, you know, some white guys come into another culture and want to portray the noble savage Mm -hmm. and really construct Oh, yeah. A lot of things to fit their narrative of non-Western people. Yes. So yes. I I know it. I know it from references. I have never seen it. And yeah. so I'm just going to picture, you know, uh, the documentary now 
episode mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with Bill Hader in old man makeup. That's yeah, fair enough. Um, and Fre- Fred Fred Armisen <laughs> dressed up as an Inuit. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, that's um pretty accurate on how it's it goes down. At least I mean to give some context, this is the same guy who filmed the original Moana and what that is. Um. Which is pretty racist, but you know, whatever. Oh, Um, yeah, it's not necessarily (laughs) old. An old movie was racist. Who knew? Who knew? Um, yeah, it's a mess. But he essentially this is what year? What year is this happening? Oh, this is in 1922. Um, just wait. What year? What year did Birth of a Nation come out? Oh God. Um, 1915. Oh, okay. Yeah. So so this is a little later. The jazz singer, right, has hasn't come out yet. I don't, right? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, this is yeah. like, yeah, because like, I, the, oh, and you know, the jazz singer also has blackface in it. So. Yeah. Well, this is also like, you know, this is less. This is in a weird position because it's a narrative film, but it's technically in this. Well, it's really not, but it's trying to be mm-hmm. a, a, an early documentary. But documentaries don't exist. Okay. Documentaries don't exist yet. So this okay. is a weird position because you know with. With birth what, of a nation, what did, what did they what did they think they were doing? Like, what did what are they like? Because like, if there if there's no documentary yet, they're right. Like, why are they're like, yeah? Why are why are we trying to do this? Like, what what's the prompt? Um, pres- ex- exoticizing the other essentially. It's it's okay. taking. I, I mean, yeah. that's my opinion. I I don't necessarily. I I'm sure there's other motives that are way more. Yeah. you know. I don't even want to say complicated because it's not. It's totally yeah. based on entertainment. Like this is something yeah. where, but I, I I do feel like I I and I, again I apologize, but I feel like I interrupted you. For those that don't know, why don't you explain what yeah. this film is? So Nanook of the North is essentially uh, Flaherty's narrative documentary film that's deemed as the earliest documentary or one of the earliest documentaries ever made. Although it kind of breaks this rule a lot. Basically, it follows this. Um, main character who they the filmmakers this is titled Nanook or or called Nanook but really that's it's not his name so they're essentially making a character and they utilize this character to follow a day in the life of Inuit culture and that includes traditional hunting or seal hunting that is on camera uh trading different you know building of the igloo and then going to sleep in such housing you know, showing this for mm-hmm. a Western audience that's sitting at home mm-hmm. or in the theater to be able to be entertained by. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, it's fabricated like completely. I mean, there's some elements of traditional Inuit hunting techniques that at the time weren't even being used because they had guns. So there was, you know, it's like <laughs> they basically tried to make it look like it was like 50 years in the past, even though it wasn't. And people were. Mm. developed in this area but they pretended that it wasn't because that wasn't what was going to sell so you're starting to see these changes Mm -hmm. occur within Mm -hmm. the film to give you this like westernized exoticized approach to indigenous peoples it's orientalizing yes yes showing them as steeped in mythology whereas uh presenting the 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 filmmaker's culture as the culture rooted in yeah. logic and reason. Yes, absolutely. That's that's pretty mm-hmm. much what's going on. And 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 it's you know, it there's elements to it 
and I'll say this before I rip it apart that <laughs> you know these are they are using you know certain techniques and certain traditions that are passed down and in resemblance of said you know um group of yeah. people because they had that contact with it and were kind of also involved but not a lot mm-hmm. you know not not yeah. enough to justify a lot of the changes made so this is important in film history as something that i think lays out a timeline of where we get our documentary narratives from however it's not a positive one i want to make that clear too Mm. because this is something that's going to come up where we have a lot of tropes a lot of um entertainment over actuality and fact that are going to appear Mm -hmm. contemporarily now and i think you can compare it back to this moment where things are already being changed and altered for the sake Mm. of vision and you know, to deliver a point and sell something. So, you know, even right. even in this, because, like, we're now at a point, because I've been following this timeline of the camera, right? He's using a yeah. Bell & Howe camera, which is portable. I mean, it's still pretty big, but it's portable. So they can move this thing around and take it on the, the hikes and whatever. That's revolutionary. I mean, literally, yeah. Because this is the way that they can actually go and film somewhere. Um, yeah. And, like, I know there's one scene that in particular that's criticized a lot because they had to um, film you know, Nanook and his family going to sleep and, or, Mm -hmm. you know, this character of Nanook, right? And um, so they have to film them going to sleep in this igloo, but, you know, in the igloo, it's dark and these cameras require a ton of light. So they actually Uh built a three-sided igloo so that one side was completely exposed to the light so they can control the scene. They built a sitcom set? Literally, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so just so they can control the scene. So again, we're already interrupting the you know the narrative to show our audience uh-huh or what is in there and what's not and mm-hmm. it's it's very interesting to me how that goes and so yeah you know counter to this you get um late way later on well actually not that that not much later on in 1929 uh the film man with a movie camera by um Ziga Vertov the uh, Russian mm-hmm. filmmaker. And this is like the complete opposite in terms of ideology and in terms of representation for, I guess, a message in narrative. And essentially, mm-hmm. Man with a Movie Camera is literally that. It's a guy with a movie camera. And it's mm-hmm. basically the idea of the grand narrative being all around us all the time. And it's mm. it's kind of really in line with this like Soviet-era way of thinking of, you know, seizing of the means of production. You know, the people are... The, the, at the top and, and, and whatnot and so the idea is to document everything in a yeah. day in the life and stitch it together to make this film so it's super experimental and it's it's mm-hmm. very much trying to get rid of the editor and it's fascinating to me because you know i think that's going to be the thing we talk about a lot here is the editor's play in forming a movie and forming uh, right. a documentary in particular so how right. do you make a non-biased approach to something when you, the editor, have to make a physical cut or a change in order to make this happen. So what's that separation between uh, life and documentation? And I find that personally really fascinating. So, yeah, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is essentially starting to use passive camera techniques. So Mm -hmm. you're just, you're setting the camera up, you're on a car, you're filming the streets, you're filming the people doing things. There's no actors, there's no you know, production company, really. I mean, it's, or if yeah. so, it's really minor. So this is like, mm-hmm. if 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 Flaherty's, you know, documentary, quote unquote, was like 
um, trying to control everything and make a narrative. This was breaking it and trying to sh- expose what was happening mm-hmm. around it and kind of freeze it in time. And I find that really interesting. And it's a good way to kind of case study our later um, contemporary examples that I'll be providing on how your edits can actually affect these things. Yeah, certainly. It's um, I've been... I've I've been thinking a lot about this, especially in the last couple of days, because one one of my roommates really wanted to watch that new uh, Free Britney, uh, Britney Spears oh, documentary, yeah. the New York Times one that's out right now. And watching it, it was very bizarre to me because on the one hand, the documentary does some things that like need needed to be addressed, right. like pointing out how much sexism and slut shaming and uh, misogyny was projected on Britney Spears, you know, during her quote unquote freak out yeah. um, in the early 2000s. And uh, was that 2008? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she shaved her head, you know, had the freak out with the umbrella um, and all that stuff. You know, the documentary does a good job of contextualizing those things where, you know, Mm. if you want to look at it from a documentarian perspective, I think everybody was watching it from the point of view of the paparazzi where you're seeing this unhinged person, you know, who seems to be sabotaging her own self-sabotaging her own life and her career and just, you know, doing, you know, dumb, dumb things. And then... The documentary writes the ship in that regard, I think, pretty well, where it shows, you know, basically how the media is, you know, uh, uh, basically abusing her and how her uh, just people around her expect her to make them money and they need her to act a certain way and look a certain way. Right. Yeah. And and they show a lot of footage of fans of Britney Spears. And, you know, they're kind mm. of people our age and a little older. They're people that really, you know, were young when she came out and were just, you know, big fans of her sure, in, like, yeah. middle school and stuff, you know? The, the thing that I think bothered me about it, uh-huh. about this documentary, in, like, they were phrasing certain things that I feel like would go further on this argument of what 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 the media and what this machine of how we consume entertainment, how this, you know, uh, chews up and spits out these uh, these celebrities, especially young women and, you know, child stars. Right. And yet it is presenting some of those things through the lens of the fans and not in a way that I'm sure is entirely self-aware. It's like, it's talking about her, you know, in the schoolgirl outfit, talking about how powerful this is and how much agency she has and all of her fans talking about how great this is and how powerful this is. And I'm like, this is still this is still in line with the other stuff yeah. that you were condemning where there's all of this, you know, sexualization of a young woman going on here. Yeah. And I feel like 
there's something that is being kind of deliberately either ignored or not explored in its entirety here. Like you are pointing out a problem and then you don't even seem to be aware. I'm talking about the documentary. Sure. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's pointing out a problem and then doesn't seem to be aware that it's pointing out people (laughs) that are reframing something that seems very similar to it as a good thing. Yeah, that, 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 yeah. That, that was sort of the tr- the troubling thing about it. It's like I really thought it was going to get into something else, but it was like presenting all of these things like in her career that trying to make it sound good. Yeah, like, that's that's dicey. I don't like and, that. Yeah, and it's like, and and here's another thing. I'm I'm not sure if this this probably has more to do with not being able to get the rights to the songs which you know if you're accusing someone of basically (laughs) holding someone hostage i can guess you're not going to get the music rights from whoever holds them which i guess is britney spears's father yeah you know the whole documentary is about getting her out of her conservatorship right 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 so it's one of those documentaries about a musician that can't (laughs) seem to play (laughs) very much of that musician's music yeah interesting and there's something that always just feels even if they get like you know notable people and it's like this is a real documentary right like real people in it right there's something that always just feels either cheap or hastily put together if like because i've watched like a bruce springsteen documentary where they clearly did not have the rights to any of his songs yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) so it's like they played the bootlegs it's talking heads and then it's you know um him talking between the songs and he's like one two three four hi there my name is colby white and i'm one of the hosts from force football facts a podcast where my friend zachary and i force our other friend tyrell to give us insights into the game even though he doesn't know anything about it We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. And then then they they, cut to the next thing. Yeah, no, I've been there. We we legally cannot play you any more of this. (laughs) like it's it's show it's showing the very early footage of britney spears performing at malls you know okay um yeah and you know she's like this is you know she's like doing her she's she's about to introduce uh uh i think hit me baby one more time right and like they're about to start the song then cut to something else (laughs) jesus yeah i mean it's so uh frustrating in a way too that even like a story like that, like something I think relatively important um, for closure's sake and also for like importance of Britney Spears right now. Yeah. And, and, and following that whole thing, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it seems very contradictory to kind of like, it's like, I don't know. It's, or maybe not contradictory, but not self-aware that you're, you're not actually saying anything positive. You know what I mean? Like when you're talking about like the things she's doing and you're looking at this like, oh, it's empowerment. Oh, it's this. And it's like, wait a minute. Not really. Like it is. But it's so tough to say because in that early 2000s culture, I don't know 
if we had that for girl or for for female pop stars really because like there was no there was no Nicki Minaj yet. There was no yeah, yeah, Cardi yeah, but- B. You, there was no Cardi B. You did not have these female pop stars that could take agency for their sexuality because all of her stuff was so steeped in male gaze. And I don't feel like even even for all you know, I and I know Britney Spears means so much to so many, you know, young women. And you know she is talented, but the the they they seem to be ignoring this other this issue of how she was being portrayed. And you know yeah. I don't blame her for that. Well, yeah, no, that's what I was getting at because it's it's not the thing is, and I always I always kind of I think is good to keep this in mind. It's not about what people wear, and it shouldn't be. It's about the yeah. people who put that gaze onto others, and especially in this case, you know, the misogyny towards women and a patriarchal gaze uh, towards these things. And I find that really kind of frustrating in a way too. Mm-hmm. And for sure, that's what's happening, you know, with Britney Spears as an icon, and then promoting it to others. So, you know, in my perspective, at least with it. I think it, any, mm-hmm. anybody should be allowed to wear whatever they want and no one should be yeah. confronted based on those things, of be course. it modest, yeah. explicit, whatever. You know, the problem is in this, it's a society issue or societal issue, I should say, that uh, projects that and that gets affected by it. And so, yeah, the document, again, this is like another one of these cases, the documentary not to address that or at least think about it before making a know, just a blatant kind of point well, yeah, or whatever. They're showing like totally gross footage of like, you know, she's like as a very young girl on a stage. She just got done performing and there's like some old host, <sighs> you know, I, I, yeah. I don't know if I'm supposed to recognize him, but he's like and she's like 10 or something. Jesus. And the host is like. You got a boyfriend? Gross, 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 gross. Hate it. This is what I was, but see, that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> they, to then flip it though and say something else and maybe be like, oh, well, it's empowerment. It's this, which fine, but you're missing a whole thing about that that doesn't, it's kind of like putting a band aid on something or like giving a high five when someone's drowning. If you've seen yeah. the picture, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, yeah. I just, I, I don't know, it doesn't sit well with me. And I think it's a part of the problem you know, here that I'm kind of presenting of, you know, people presenting information and not necessarily giving either a clear or as at best they can an unbiased approach to it and making connections where Mm -hmm. connections don't need to be made with that. You know what I mean? And that we have to look at documentaries as a starting point to a conversation and the documentaries are not they are not the definitive story. They can't really be by nature. Right, exactly. You know, it's like, you know, depending on which side of the, you know, Courtney killed Kurt debate you are, you're going, you're, you're like, you can always tell because it's like, you're going to be able to get these people for this Nirvana documentary. And then you're not going to be able to get these other people. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like if you were to make a documentary about the Eagles right now and it's like, well, we got to choose. Yeah. And that's that's we got to We got to choose who we get for this documentary. Exactly. Although although now Glenn Fry is gone. R.I.P. Right. I guess you don't have to choose between him and Don Felder anymore. Fair enough. 
Yeah, I mean, but that's also the thing. What if you took a non-narrative approach to that and got, like, fans or got producers or yeah. other people who are working there? And, and you know, like, yeah. there's ways to work around this without well, being so tropey and stuck in a yeah. format. Because I think we're so used to these, like, common formats uh, attached to documentaries now that, yeah. you know, it's... You don't really get a lot of experimentation or at least as much as you would like. And and I'm yeah. I'm speaking broad picture here like bigger streaming well, services. Well, no, you you've you've touched on something very important because documentaries and you know this has been um you know the, the more as mockumentaries yeah have become a bigger and bigger I think part of you know things that a bigger and bigger part of the the media landscape, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, what we do in the shadows. Oh, it's great. <laughs> you know, to, to some to some extent, the office, uh, drop dead gorgeous. Yeah. Um, you know, all gr- great mockumentaries. You know, um, what they've done, uh, documentary now. Yeah. What they've done is they've really pointed out the tropes to us. It's they've fabulous. made us more and more aware of the tropes of documentary. Mm-hmm. And when you recognize the documentaries have tropes and they have stylistic conventions, yep. that means that they should be subject to the same theoretical critiques that we give any other kind of visual exactly. media. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then there's another, I think, facet to that too, is also then how can you utilize the tropes kind of like those shows have to play yeah. with them. But also, if you're going to present- a la- It's a language. It's a language, you know, you're watching, yeah. You're watching a fake documentary about vampires in it's New so Zealand, great. but it makes sense to you because you have seen documentaries before and you yeah. know, oh yes, this footage of action happening is going to be intercut with a interview- yeah, uh, you know, that's yeah. inserted in that's kind of a, uh, or a voiceover explaining what's happening, you know, uh, that's yeah. this is all like it's just part of that vocabulary and mockumentaries really lay it out clear mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the way that those things happen. I mean, you, you look at. Again, going back to documentary now, you look at the artist is present, a real documentary yeah. about uh, Marina Abramovich. And then you watch their parody of it, and right. it's only slightly exaggerated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, I still will always find that documentary that we like the the artist is present compared to the Gerhard Richter one that we watched. Such an interesting yeah. parallel. So different. Very different. And for those of you out there, so yeah. it doesn't sound like we're sound talking about a closed conversation. Essentially, Marina Ambronovich has such a big personality. And in that documentary, it's it's about her showing at the MoMA for that work. Uh, the artist is present. Mm-hmm. And in the Gerhard Richter yeah. documentary is quite literally half of it is him painting. And it is so yeah. meditative and nice. I'll, I'll say <laughs> I'll say one more. I'll say one more thing. OK. About those types of documentaries where they're trying to present you with a quote-unquote artistic genius. Oh, yeah. And you're going to have quick cuts of them doing something and then a talking head. And, you know, you can't blame this necessarily on budget or they didn't have the rights to the artwork. Because remember, Marina is in that documentary. You see all of her art and it's HBO. They have the money. In that documentary, they never hold on her work, on her performances for that long. There's there's a couple of points where they do. Yeah. I'll give them credit for that. But there's a lot of points where they talk more about her work, tell you that it's important without... 
and they don't show you the work. In the Gearhard Richter one, you're expected to be patient and experience the work. Mm. And I think when you have these documentaries where you're trying to maybe explain to the layperson what's so important about this avant-garde artist, there's almost this kind of fear or embarrassment that someone's going to be watching this and get bored or they won't understand it immediately. Right. So you can't hold on the work for too long. Mm. And yeah, there's th- there's something kind of recognizable about that because like I, I feel like in a lot of these documentaries when you're trying to make something for mass consumption about an artist that requires a lot of context for their work you're very afraid to just show the work. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's a, it's a decision. It's a decision in editing. It's yeah. a decision in production and also just what you're trying to do. And it can be a conscious one where, you know, it is, it is that though. It is, it is audience attention and our attention spans yeah. have gone down a lot. And that's not necessarily anybody's fault. That's also just the way that we have to consume media based on what it's given to us. You know, I think so much stuff. Stop. It's a lot of TV shows to me. It's a lot of stuff. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I'm not going to watch any of these. Yeah. They're on the metaphorical (laughs) list that doesn't exist, but that's the thing. It's like you, I always kind of get, it's like, it's kind of a weird thing. Cause you know, you see a lot of blame like, Oh, well people's attention spans only two minutes. You know, somebody, the average time someone looks at a painting is like two seconds or eight seconds, something ridiculous or, you know, and I think it's longer than that, but yeah. It's really short, Zan. It's mm. like obnoxiously short. It's basically maybe, the amount of time. Maybe you take that's a photo. maybe that's an average. Maybe like you look at they're looking at King K's. Uh, you know, maybe for like yeah, two, two seconds. Because <laughs> like honestly, oh. a King K doesn't deserve that much of your attention span. That's... And then you get further, and you're like, oh, <laughs> uh, there, there's Carol Walker. I'm gonna sit here for uh, yeah. half an hour and contemplate systemic racism in the United States. And then I'll skip over all these Kincaids and McKnight. Yeah. 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 No, fair enough. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, it's not anybody's necessarily fault on that, given the fact that there's just so much expected to be seen and so much to go. And that's a whole different thing in terms mm-hmm. of territorial studies and, and seeing things, but also applying it to media consumption. It does kind of come in with these documentaries, but Speaking of avant-garde, and maybe it's not necessarily a documentary, but I do want to kind of throw this work in there, which is um, Alan, or the work of the artist Alan Berliner uh, and his video work titled The Family Album, which essentially mm-hmm. is a documentary, but where it becomes, where it's interesting is it utilizes um, home videos, it's specifically mm-hmm. American home videos, from the 30s into the 50s and 60s. So like right about um, into Vietnam. And paired with it are like field recordings and audio interviews and different things that were found in this archive. And he presents this information in a way to kind of weave this narrative through American Mm -hmm. history without interviewing anybody, without talking to anybody, without necessarily making it in that way. It's presenting the home videos as is. Now it's not necessarily Mm. a documentary, but in a way it, it's in the exact same format to a certain extent and it's quite literally documentation and it's presenting this these images of you know the stereotypical american family but the thing is that Mm -hmm. you know with home videos in particular you always will find a recognizable nostalgia even if Mm -hmm. it's not yours but you know what it is you know what it is you know the material and 
it's familiar. And so that's already a point of access for anybody to see. And so, mm-hmm. you know, what's I find super fascinating in the work, I mean, I'm a little biased because I work with home videos and documentation, but it's an it's a way in to this editing style and this sort of neutrality between total fake and total, you know, non-edit, just capture everyday life as the camera's rolling and and piecing it together. Yeah, think about if that home footage is like supposed to show us the subject of the documentary as a kid. And then depending on how that kid turned out, like if that child turned out to be, I don't know, uh, that that child turned out to be someone uh, with with a super positive career or something like this is Beyonce as a child. Right. And there's like upbeat, uh, strummy acoustic guitar music playing in the background, you know, like uh, then, you know, you're showing like footage that's, you know, basically like, you know, same happy child walking around or something. But then it turns out like, that was Charles Manson, you know? There would be, like, really haunting single-note glockenspiel playing, uh, you know? <laughs> I guess? I was like, where are you going with this? I was so confused. I thought you were going to reference the but movie it's like, or something. But, but no, no, no. It's like, it's it's still just footage of a child ah, running around. I, I see, I see, yes, it, yes, It's yes. just footage of a child running around, but, like, the music that you put behind that Oh, it changes entirely, everything. Yeah, reframe right. it. Oh my god, absolutely. Oh, oh, I see, I see. Okay, yes. I was like, wait, we're watching a Charles Manson documentary now? Um, well, but like that's the thing too. It's it's also just like so many different families, so many different yeah. people who all are maybe some are still alive, all have their mm-hmm. own histories to it and are being yeah. shown in this thing. It's so fascinating to yeah. stitch something together like that and play with the narrative in this way. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, where where I wanna kind of move to leave us off at is this sort of question that I was posing earlier of the kind of consequences that come with editing and Mm -hmm. what you leave viewers with. And so this is always my kind of go-to example of a, of a neutral type film, something that's clearly edited, but also has an interesting intent to just kind of keep it as is with the material used. But then we get into something more, well, what a year now, popular such as the netflix hit sensation tiger king that comes out that (laughs) changes this you know that's a very different uh thing that i'm approaching here and Uh that's basically what i am am getting at is is this um this use of spectacle and editing manipulation to change the topic of your documentary halfway through and leave people with a different message than i think might have been intended Um, and i and I posed this with the other um, Netflix documentary that was probably, it's probably one of the best out there, or at least like renowned, was Making a Murderer. And Zan, mm-hmm. you know, we both watched these together. And that's, you know, I think part of the reason you're up here as well to help me kind of flush this out, because I think they're both radically different and mm-hmm. have very different impacts on the people who watch right. them. And without necessarily going crazy into a debate with it, I think it's interesting to maybe discuss a little bit on the endings of those two rather than to flush out the whole uh, series. And so, you know, for yeah. those who don't know, essentially, Making a Murderer follows the story of Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey, who um, yeah. have, were arrested on 
charges um and i'm i think it was murder charges actually hence the name yeah and it you know he steven was falsely accused in the uh in the past and then he has been re put into this position again and there's a whole conspiracy based on the police putting him in to prison and essentially the documentary yeah, follows yeah getting getting dragged in yeah. on bad not only bad <laughs> evidence but the documentary suggests planted evidence yeah exactly but the thing is you know in the documentary it it's long and it takes its time to page yeah. through everything every detail a lot of perspectives mm-hmm. or as many as they can get and yeah you know it's kind of an odd thing because you're you're leaving yeah. with this idea of is he gonna get free and he doesn't so yeah it, and we don't yeah. know it, it's still continuing and yeah. in in tiger king it's a, a very different kind of way and well, ti- tiger king <sighs> tiger king has something about it like i want to view it as a piece of art and in that way you know it's something that is a starting point and then you need to do the extra legwork to decide things for yourself yeah at the end but, of the day because but but the, the problem with tiger king is that you have a bunch of different crazy people that are all presenting themselves as the voice of reason. And part of me thinks that's the point. Everyone in that story thinks they're the good guy. Uh Uh-huh. And the documentary presents them kind of all on equal footing. And And in a weird way, PETA comes out as the most righteous. And it's like... That yeah. that that is that is a problem, and you can't look at it as unbiased. I guess it's it's just it people's reactions to it. I do have to think about that as well when I think about you know wanting to enjoy it the same way. Like you know, I want to enjoy Rick and Morty, knowing that the fan base not not all of it, but there's a good portion of the fan base that completely misses the point and you know, sympathizes with Rick. Yeah, but the, see, here's the... Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's in the same line with that. The thing with Tiger King, let's okay. let's take away the actual concept and plot for like a hot minute. Okay. Um, because it's entertaining. And I, and I enjoy okay. it for its entertaining yeah. aspect. The problem I have with this, and it, it didn't... Because it didn't really hit until later. Like, I enjoyed watching mm-hmm. this with you and David. It was, oh, like, yeah. the craziest experience of my life, you know. And, and yeah. of course, I think quarantine is a part of this. But it became a sensation about characters after. It wasn't about the message right. it was showing. Because I do think the documentary tried to give the message of, hey, this is a problem. Like, people shouldn't own tigers. And they do kind they of wrap it up in that the, way at the very beginning and the very end, very end. They, ignore, they ignore that for the middle part exactly. these bizarre character studies yeah. and you know it's and, it's the whole it's the whole thing of like th- there was another true crime documentary we watched on amanda knox yeah yeah exactly um and it was one of those documentaries that's like hey you're contributing to this problem by consuming all this true crime stuff. Yeah. And it's like, well, we're watching the documentary to learn about the case, but you're kind of right because there's all of these cases that are fueled by people's desire for these grand criminal narratives. Yeah. Uh, And 
the public taking a story and running with it, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think, like, with this, you know, with Tiger King, you have a story that is insane. And it is entertaining. Yeah. I mean, it's Shakespearean oh, at yeah. the end of the day. But <laughs> <laughs> it's... it's I, what, what part of Shakespeare were they uh, on meth and trick... <laughs> You trick uh, a straight kid into being your oh, husband. Oh God! I just I, it, it, into a into a three person yeah, redneck wedding. Yeah. Thing is, though, it's just it's 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 a clear example of people taking something out of a film that didn't necessarily intend for that to happen. And I I think this falls on the editing of the show because it's edited in such yeah. a way to make it spec. It's a spectacle it's crazy it's fun it's insane look at these people look it, how it is they are. on some level exploiting these y people yeah too, because <laughs> you have all okay you have all of these people that are not aware of what light they're going to be shed in exactly yep um exactly. and all and these people that are in a bubble yeah they're they're all of the people are in a bubble and are used to being treated a certain way in that bubble by their friends and by their enemy. And right. it's almost irrelevant who's on the right side of these arguments because we're watching this as suburbanites, yeah. you know, being like, look at these bizarre rednecks. Oh yeah, yeah, no. You know, because like that is kind of what Tiger King becomes as well, because yeah. it's it's for the shock value. It's it's you know it's the same thing as like swamp. It's only a couple degrees removed from like swamp people and like yeah. people that do noodling on the Discovery Channel. You know, right? Uh, yeah, it's like it, it's it's Duck Dynasty. It's all of those things where you know maybe the people who are in it like they're proposed the idea of like let's show let's show people you know you have this interesting life that you know not everybody gets to see and it's and, and people are just watching this for for the uh for for the schadenfreude for the yeah out of disgust but fascination that people can live like this you know yeah i yeah i i wanted to ask you a question you know if we're if we're talking about like documentaries that have you know different the reception of the documentary uh-huh is is such a part of it yes like do you consider borat a proper documentary. Because mm. Borat has a premise and it has a narrative. Yeah. But Borat quite literally documents things, quite candid things. Yeah. That if you were like, I'm going to make a documentary about racism uh, and xenophobia right right in america here's here's my and, take on. Mm -hmm. and, and and you get these incredibly candid uh responses and, and you point out something so much more interesting than if you had just you know uh shot a documentary like 
going up to people and asking them, what do you think of racism? Yeah, no. Um, here's my thing with Borat. I think it, it understands the tropes in documentaries that we talked about, and it yeah. uses them to create something different. So technically, mm-hmm. yeah, it would be a type of documentary because even, you know, if I, if I were to say it's not, then Alan Berliner's The Family Album isn't because, you know, mm-hmm. a, again, a documentary, I think, just is utilizing footage to present information in some sort of, you know, way, be it educational or also just following said format. Yeah. You know, it, it's not it's not a play, you know, because yeah. a, a movie is a in a sense like a movie action movie whatever is a play to a certain degree and it has characters and whatnot documentaries yeah. have characters but the characters are real real people they're not putting on a right fake but Bor- identity Borat but Borat is, Borat is, well, Bor- is a character yes but but, but the people yeah. a lot of the people in Borat aren't so it's yeah. you create a character to go out and interact so again it's, it's like he's you know, Sasha Baron Cohen is creating this character, this comedic character to utilize in order to kind of do these things and have these interactions and get sometimes genuine responses. And it's yeah. kind of kind of genius to a certain degree, you know? Like, I mean, he's a master kind of at is. doing these yeah. things. Like, he knows how to go in there and talk with people and how to provoke and play and, and be funny, mm-hmm. but also be outrageous. And I mean, that's his you know that's his talent yeah. that he does so i think i think it falls into such a f- interesting kind of documentary uh category that you know it understands its tropes and it's just using them and uh, you know yeah. kind of almost like mockumentary like documentary now mockumentary now and uh you know um, yeah, but well, but i think that's the that's the strength of these documentaries is e- even if they're fake documentaries is i think they do make a good point because documentaries in that sense expose make you look at something normal in a new way right because you are you could maybe notice a pattern of yeah of of behavior if you're seeing it contextualized i think it's one of the things social media has done for us where you know like something like can I speak to the manager? Which, yeah. as a phrase, you know, sends a shiver down the spine of anyone who has, you know, worked in the service industry, retail. Sure, yeah. You know? But it's not like every, you know, entitled person got into a, a meeting and everyone said, we're all going to say this phrase. You know, that was something that, you know, was learned probably person to person, but there was no consensus on it. Individuals have chosen to behave that way on a, on a huge scale on a, on a scale to the point where we expect it and can recognize that type of person. And I think before we were all comparing notes on everything, I don't think everyone recognized what a thing that was. I don't even think the people that said, can I speak to the manager, were aware just how many people use that phrase to get what they want out of some poor person working in a in, in a service industry job. Right. You know, the, there's social media and documentaries and all the stuff that lets us compare notes on experience reveals something about different perspectives 
but the hesitation there is to say that this is the only way that these things happen and this is the only perspective mm-hmm. and that's i think the danger of the yeah. documentary is saying that this is the framework with which things happen there's you know there's there's a million examples that we could point out about misleading documentaries that had otherwise truthful things in them you yeah know? yeah yeah no absolutely i i, I grew up watching you know, dinosaur documentaries, you know, in particular, walking with dinosaurs and, you know, everything in those is, you know, most stuff in it is made up. And, you know, a lot of the behavior and even some of the, the, the physiology of some of those prehistoric creatures they were depicting has been debunked at this point, but I think Mm, they still hold up as documentaries because I think they accomplished their goal of making prehistoric creatures seem like real animals, you know, that they do things besides get into epic battles with right. each other. That, yeah. that they do regular animal things. That the I'm I'm just I'm just saying that there's so many different ways to look at what documentaries do to our perception. Yeah, but I mean like on that too, does that affect how you look at dinosaurs or would it to someone else who maybe isn't as passionate in it you know it what affected i mean the way i pronounce the word diplodocus fair enough see there it is no but, <laughs> but it's 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 not like a um you know it's it's not necessarily that i have like a no and you can't like mm-hmm. this documentary because it's wrong and what we have to find the truth like no it's not really that it's more like I have this impending question all the time of if I'm getting fed false information or someone else's or everybody mm-hmm. is, you know, how does that change how mm-hmm. we look at that thing? You know, if I'm learning about the Roman Empire and I get something that's totally fake about them, like Julius Caesar played chess and I was like, oh, my God, who knew? And then, mm-hmm. you know, I find out, hey, he actually didn't. Does that change my perspective on it or let's make Mm -hmm. something bigger you know maybe something more impactful like i don't know how certain locations are represented in media or how ancient cultures like you know Mm -hmm. maybe greek roman arabic anything is represented in movies and 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 plays Mm -hmm. and different things does that affect how i remember a history that's only either vocalized or written down you know like how does that impact our vision or the peripherals or or our um, perception on these topics and i think that's something that i if i had to leave you with anything it's really that it's it's to be aware it's not necessarily to discard because we do not want to cause iconoclasms of information here because i think yeah art builds on art and it's the only way to enforce and get better and newer ways of modifying the format and playing with it because we do not want to have you know a nanook of the north again but i think yeah we need to build on those things yeah i'm not saying that we don't have there's not the potential for another harmful documentary but you can look at how many things that you know don't make it into mainstream entertainment that the population learns about through documentaries and important things like you know if a lot of documentaries are kind of the reasons that a lot of americans know about the holocaust as much as they do yeah true you know there's especially in the last couple years you know you look at um the 13th yeah you know great documentary uh, yeah and and what that documentary has kind of done for our understanding of 
uh, you know, race in America and the legacy of slavery. Uh, the, you know, then there's like in, in the most in a more benign example that i can think of uh are you familiar you're familiar with uh the lemming the animal yeah yeah, yeah. what what is maybe the one <laughs> thing you know about this animal uh my one <laughs> lemming fact is that they they jump off cliffs they commit mass suicide yeah that is the one thing that most people know about lemmings and guess right. what it was entirely made up what by disney in 1958 for a uh a documentary they shot because <sighs> you know disney's always done like nature documentaries like that that's the yeah. thing they've done for a long time but they, they made this film called white wilderness um they shot it in canada huh um and they they were shooting in a landlocked part of canada uh so they had to buy lemmings <laughs> Okay. From uh, they they were shooting in a place where lemmings did not live. Oh my god! So <laughs> they bought lemmings from some Inuit children that were selling them. Oh jeez! And they they basically constructed this turntable for that was covered in snow for the lemmings to run on. And th there's a grain of truth in this, and you can actually read about this on the alaska uh you know the department of wildlife uh, <laughs> for alaska's website oh my god <laughs> um but uh lemming populations do fluctuate quite wildly interesting but basically in the documentary they proclaim that when lemming populations like get too high all the lemmings commit mass suicide oh my god by swimming into the ocean and then they just keep going until they die um when in reality Jesus. like they, they were filming like these lemmings that like had swam into a river and like gotten tired and died mm. right or, or these lemmings you know falling off of a cliff or off the turntable or that they were oh filming on and they said that you know this is what lemmings do they they can they commit mass suicide <laughs> just go with it jerry just go with it just keep going just keep going just go with it <laughs> someone needs to talk to walt about this <laughs> oh my god i mean talk about manipulating a narrative jeez man yeah so in the most harmless sense it's and i, I you know it's not even necessarily harmless because it does warp our yeah. perspective of nature oh yeah but you know th that's a that's something that so many americans quote unquote know about yeah that is entirely the result of a of a, you know, poorly sourced nature documentary from the 50s. Yeah. And, you know, National Geographic is guilty of some of this stuff, too, presenting information mm. that, you know, was maybe slightly confusing or in some cases deliberately misleading. And, you know, that affects our view of yeah that it human evolution like we have to walk people back on certain things like do you know how many old people i've gotten into arguments about for climate change where they say like some they cite some time magazine article from the 80s about the world is actually getting colder what okay that's and like that's their proof and like you have to walk it back all the way there or no that that's not necessarily the proof their their thing is like well in the 80s they said the world was gonna get colder 
Okay, it's not. So why the 80s. should we? Why should? Why should we believe you now? Because <laughs> it's not the eighties. Why is that but, complicated? But, but, but you see that you see the problem. Yeah. of this, this grows distrust. Yeah. In people that do a lot of hard work and research, because for you know a documentary that tells you for all of the documentaries that give you pretty good information on natural history. There's still documentaries you can look up on YouTube about mm-hmm. how, you know, uh, the Devil's Tower is actually <laughs> uh, a giant tree stump yeah. from the primordial Earth. Oh, man, I love that one. Yeah. Or, Jesus, you know, yeah. someone's someone with a hokey documentary about how, like, the Bible actually does mention dinosaurs. Oh, fun creationist documentary. Yeah, yeah that is the that yeah. is unfortunately one of the issues with our, you know, the low budget doc scene. Well, no, not even that. It's it's the it's just the mistrust of information and people yeah. who are I guess in charge or or like um dedicate their lives to be scholarly and and discover things and write things down and you know investigate certain things and 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 persevere for the truth and i feel like now we live in a time where the truth is basically meaningless to certain people because facts are just opinions and Mm. it's and it it really kind of covers a lot of these things too and and i think that's part of the problem where people don't necessarily want to a take responsibility or accountability or even just be open to hey maybe my perspective was wrong and i should uh, rethink some things and i didn't think about it that way maybe this is a better way to look about it and i think that's some of the good things that documentaries can do and then some of the bad things because they also can promote you know outs like you just mentioned with these kind of like ones you'll see on youtube you know that's an easy way to fall into pipelines and different things that will lead oh, yeah. you somewhere no, you, bad you, so it's well it's, like no all of all of those ancient aliens documentaries on History Channel, you know, oh, yeah. God, God knows what type of damage that's done a to lot. the population. A lot <laughs> in, in in trusting historians and archaeologists and indigenous people, like you know, it. We laugh at them, right? You know, in the same way we laugh, at, we can laugh at Alex Jones. Yeah. Um yeah. but the the harm that they do is real. Oh my god, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's mm-hmm. I it's kind of a, it brings us to this sort of point that I think I've been yeah. I I'm trying to understand and and come to, but really it's it's embedded in entertainment taking over a narrative and also sort of yeah. modifying things and where the editors fall into that and where editing a narrative falls into that because if yeah. you're selling a product and you're mm-hmm. promoting something, you want it to be attractive. And this is like I was saying earlier with sort of, you know, Netflix or streaming services or this idea of following into a format and all of these other mm-hmm. things, you know, even with Ancient Aliens and Alex Jones and stuff, they know it works because mm-hmm. people will click on, oh, my God, aliens built the pyramids. You know, yeah. there's something in the water. Let's watch this. And, you know, it it works. So I think it's just something to be aware of. And if anything, right. you know, that's kind of, I, I try to stay in that. It, when you go to watch a documentary to be critical, when you go to watch a movie to be critical, I mean, I'm only talking necessarily about something that 
is promoting information this way, but this happens in fiction too. And maybe that's a different presentation, but with this, it's, I think, if anything, it's important to just be mindful of what's passing through and what to take from it. Because it's okay to watch things for entertainment. I think it's okay to understand the information coming in, but I think it's important to separate fact from fiction and make sure that, you know, it can at least take it, take you somewhere that's useful, give you useful information. So, uh, you know, it's not just painting this false narrative or, you know, promoting some sort of, a dangerous theory or something that could lead to ignoring the truth. But, you know, again, it, it also just kind of falls into this question of, do you construct a narrative then when making a documentary? Do you put up sets, get higher actors, have it be so spoon fed to people that they can get the idea? Or do you, you know, pull a man with a movie camera and just get out there and start filming like Cinema Verite or, you know, Grey Gardens or something. And you just get out there and start filming everything and, and presenting the life as the movie. Um, mm. And I think somewhere in between is important, but also to just, you know, it's, I think important now more than ever to experiment with, with a, um with a medium and to see how these things can be presented and how tropes, can then be utilized and recognized in in these in this media to then be able to kind of bring some sort of realization to this. Mhm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I can't wait for your inevitable documentary about documentaries one day. One day, man. I think that'll have to happen. I'm sure I could um you know, go on that for ever. I mean, I'm kind of obsessed with like Western cinema tropes or specifically like the American West and mm -hmm. the tropes attached to it. So, you know, after I'm done that, I'll move into this one, of course. <laughs> it, you know, if anybody's curious, too, it'll be it'll be your March of the Penguins. <gasps> a true masterpiece. I remember there was yeah. a girl at one of my at like my <laughs> summer camp who was obsessed with March of the Penguins. And, like, demanded we watched it. Do you remember when penguins were the hottest, pun intended, thing around? Like, there were, like, four <laughs> penguin movies Zam. all right after one another, after March of the Penguins. There was there was March of the Penguins, there yeah. was Farce of the Penguins, there was Surf's Up, there was Happy <gasps> Feet. Okay. okay. Zan, I watched yeah. Happy Feet, like, five times in a row. Like, I've watched that movie so much. It's not even same with Surf's Up. I love them. I don't know why. Isn't but... Surf's Up is like kind of a mockumentary? Yeah, it? it is. Yeah, actually, it's a surf documentary. These are my girls. <laughs> Dude, that movie is amazing. I'm sorry. I, oh my God. What a legend. Definitely ahead of its time. Happy Feet, I feel like I was also really excited because Elijah Wood was in it and I was obsessed with Lord of the Rings and still am out yeah and, yeah you know for the for the crowd that wasn't into lord of the rings for, for the crowd that was into transformers they had shia labeouf, shia LaBeouf for, yeah for <laughs> surfs up also yeah that's what a good pick in that case i mean not a great person but hey who is um <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god! Could you imagine I'm sure, I'm, the standard. I'm sure, now? I'm sure. I'm sure we'll have a Shia LaBeouf documentary one day. Oh, it's gonna happen for sure. There's no yeah. way around it. But yeah, yeah, I think that yeah. about concludes our yeah. um discussion slash lecture slash rant session. Hmm. I think I think we kind of addressed a lot of things <laughs> yeah. that we've sort of hinted at before, mm. like our because you and I love documentaries. Oh, I yes. think we, we want to be absolutely clear about that. <laughs> yeah. And that there is room to be critical. Yes. Uh, of the of the things that you love. Yeah, absolutely. Like a lot of people right now, I think, are trying to understand our the, the, the true crime wave, really. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, we are getting some, on some level, we are getting some kind of enjoyment out of yeah. bad things that happened, you know? The, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, I, I, I'm thinking of, like, you know, you, me, and David watching that uh, Henry Lee Lucas documentary. Oh, my God, I forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah the, the Confession Killer. Yeah, that this is uh this probably won't be the last time we talk about this, but I feel like for right now we exercised yeah. <laughs> some kind of uh rant demon that was living inside all of us. <laughs> yeah, it, it, absolutely. I mean, it's a lot to cover, so and I and I cut a lot of things as well um because it's just too much in a sense of of this and there's room for, you know, other ways Is the Super Bowl out. a documentary? No. Well, okay. In real time, you got commentators. That's true. God, now Zan, now you pose me a whole different question: of Can a documentary happen in the real time? Oh yeah. I mean, I guess that's well. Yeah, our our live news broadcasters, documentarians. Yeah, because it's gonna be docu. If tomorrow it's a you know it's a documentary now. God damn it! I didn't. Uh. Uh, I'm stressed. That's enough. Um, well, that's enough questioning. Of that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, this has been another fun time here at the Uncanny County Museum. I think mm-hmm, we've mm-hmm. we've beaten this dead horse enough. What's going on with you, Joe? You've got the the Midnight Drive. I do. Yeah, I got a, a podcast slash audio work of mine, the Midnight Drive, on radiopepesse.org. Feel free to check it out. It's uh you know, a rather fun thing to listen to while doing, you know, laundry or driving rather a car. Rather fun, raves the creator of the Midnight Drive. Um, <laughs> no, it is very good, very atmospheric, highly mm. recommend. When this is airing, I believe uh, if you happen to live in or around Ruskin, Florida, in the Tampa Bay area, uh, my artwork will be uh, up in the brand new Distigital Gallery. Uh, if so you would exciting. like to go check out what work they have there, they got some cool stuff, including my own art. Uh, buy it if you must, uh, and you know, help me afford this crazy uh, Boston rent yes. for another month. <laughs> do that uh, it's incredible yeah because because right now i'm working three jobs oh my god to <laughs> while i'm in art school uh yeah did i did i tell you about my my Jesus new god. uh job rolling sushi you did mention it in passing yeah 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm learning to roll sushi, and like normally I'm working with. Normally I'm working with uh, this uh, this girl. She's uh, she's pretty cool. She like speaks like a bunch of different languages. Um, and we're talking. She was uh, a grad student in like creative writing and stuff. And then she just oh. drops this at one point. She's like, oh, yeah, I took classes from Ellie Wiesel. Oh. And uh. she she told me something that I I I am amazed by. Not not amazed, just like something that kind of warmed my heart, you mm-hmm. know, because she got to take the classes from him before he died and everything. Wow. And she's like, oh, they were such great classes. But she told me something that I guess um, I would have never thought about because whenever you got Ellie Wiesel for an interview or something, you can assume he's going to be talking about some pretty heavy stuff, yes? Right. Oh, yeah, for sure. But what she told me, She's like, Ellie Wiesel, dude was hilarious. Oh, wow. Super funny, apparently. Huh. And I was like, wow, because you never get Ellie for an interview to be funny. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, I feel kind of better knowing that about him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That in day-to-day life... <laughs> In day-to-day life, he didn't just have, like, a thousand-yard stare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but a sense of humor. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, no, that was that was very heartwarming. But anyway, so I normally work with her. Um, but then I get paired up with this older Japanese man while I'm rolling sushi, and it's a busy day, so we're just constantly rolling. Right. And we're not talking to each other, and I have a feeling part of it is because he does not speak very much english and i Mm. do not speak any japanese fair enough aside from the names of a couple of types of fish that i have to roll up (laughs) and then i'm realizing as i'm working next to him oh he's shy like me oh like we're both kind of shy and we're not going neither one of us is going to take the initiative to talk to each other but i really liked that i could tell he wasn't like a curmudgeon because like uh where we're working in this back you know uh prep kitchen area for the sushi Uh we share that area with a with another like food stand uh cafeteria thing Hmm. and they're those chefs are playing like they are bumping some mariachi music like all (laughs) the time and he's like this you know, he's just dancing to it and bopping back and forth while he's like slicing up his sushi rolls, oh, rolling cool. up the fish. And I'm like, oh, he's like, he's vibing. Yeah. He's fun. He's vibing. But we have a language barrier. He's so we're we're. Yeah, it's it's just he, he's he's probably really fun. Sounds fun. Sounds like a vibe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally a vibe. But yeah, I guess I have art and sushi for sale. Uh, Go get it. Yeah, if you would like that, that was that was a tangent. But anyways, if uh, you would like to visit the museum after hours, you can find us on Twitter at Uncanny Museum. You can find us on Instagram at Uncanny County Museum. All one word. Yeah, uh, we are really excited. We're going mm-hmm. to be coming up on our six month anniversary special. Yeah. It'll be very cool. And yeah, uh, you can find me at Xanosaurus on Instagram. 
and you can find me as at Josemino Art on Instagram. Yeah, and from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Semino. Bye. Bye. Bye.